penny chase. Welcome to the Holy Healthy Mama podcast. I'm Kristen Noriega, your host, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and fellow Christian mom. I provide moms with practical, uncomplicated solutions so you can feed yourself and your family with confidence and lean into an active lifestyle. I'm on a mission to make health the standard, and I believe it starts in the family with mom at the core. So whether you're filled with holy guacamole, the Holy Spirit, or have no idea what either of those are, I've got you covered, friend. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends. We're here with our first episode in the Mother's Day month series. This episode is with another registered dietitian, and she works with moms and kids. And this information should be super helpful for you because that's the objective here this month to help moms troubleshoot some of those issues that arise when our kids are little. So we will jump right into this episode. Leslie is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and fellow Christian mom. She lives with her husband and their two boys, James, who's seven, Nolan, who's three and a half, in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, about 30 minutes from Seattle, Washington. She's the owner of Leslie Weedner Nutrition, where she helps moms reduce stress at mealtimes and end the constant battles with their picky eaters. Leslie offers virtual nutrition counseling services for one, picky eating guidance and other pediatric concerns, and two, for moms who want to ditch dieting for good so they can raise their kids to be adventurous, intuitive eaters. Additionally, she provides customized meal plans to meet the dietary needs and preferences for the entire family. She enjoys cooking, developing original recipes, writing and dispelling nutrition myths, oh, myths supported by evidence, of course. There we go, my bad. And she occasionally (laughs) enjoys a quick jog in the neighborhood or going out to eat with family and friends. So thanks, Leslie, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Okay, and I may have said your name wrong. wrong. I always forget to ask my guests. So did I say it right, Weidner? No, it's okay. Oh. It's <laughs> it's Widener. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's like Widener. Oh, <laughs> German. right. Okay. Yeah. No one can say my last name either. So I feel you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have so many things in common. I know. Yeah. Well, my maiden name is Parker, so no one ever got that wrong. But then, oh, right. yeah. Widener. I get Widener, Wagner, Wildner. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well. Thank you for coming, Leslie. And today we're talking about picky eaters and what you should do. And I saw, I've seen you speak to this on social media, and I think you have fantastic tips that some of my listeners can really benefit from. So let's just dive right in. What is normal pickiness? Okay. So normal pickiness um, encompasses a lot of things. So if this you know sounds like any of your kids, let me know. But um, so, for example, barely eats anything one day and then cleans their plate the next day. Uh, in the first year, I think is when a child triples their weight. But then this will definitely start to drop off in the toddler years. So I've had a lot of moms come to me about you know worrying about their toddler not 
seeming to eat much, you know, compared to when they were younger. This is completely normal. I know it's um, usually because they grow at a slower rate than before. So, you know, not to worry. Um, and we'll probably get this to this a little bit later. But, the, you know, as far as how much they eat, that should be the responsibility of the child and not the parent. Okay. Uh, let's see. Another thing is eating their favorite foods at every meal, but then the next day, a week later, a month later, they refuse their favorite foods. Again, completely normal. Uh, stays at the table, eats quietly, and then the next day, they want to get up every five minutes. Or they constantly make requests for certain foods or handouts for snacks. My kids do this all the time. Um, and usually, this isn't about food. It's usually about testing boundaries or limits of some sort. Um, so the, the best thing to do is to stay consistent in your job of feeding so your kids can do their job of eating. Okay. So we're not alone. You and I have picky eaters. I mean, I, my kids go through exactly the same things that you just said. And you're saying to me that it's more of testing the boundaries. They want to see what's acceptable, what they can get away with. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. I'm sure everyone listening is like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. So, but where does it cross the line of being an extremely picky eater where we need to be concerned? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I'm no expert in the extreme picky eating, um, you know, realm or avenue, but there's a diagnosis. Uh, it's a psychiatric diagnosis established by the American Psychiatric Association, and it's called ARFID, which stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So this is more an eating and feeding disturbance. Uh, and most problems with you know eating, eating, and feeding are not psychiatric disorders. So you know, if I guess I would say if you really do fear that it's like crossing the line, then, you know, talk to your pediatrician. Um, but most of the time, you know, it's all of the behaviors I described above. Okay. So the psychiatric issues is, what point do you think the red flag should go up? Well, again, from the little I've read about it, it's it's more... Like the fear is so strong that like they either refuse to eat because they really fear it's going to harm them mm -hmm. um, is one thing. Okay. Okay. And so, yeah, that's crossing into the territory that neither you nor I are experts in. Right. And that's those red flags where you start to think, you know, this is abnormal. My kids, not just being picky, not just testing my boundaries, there's a fear, there's some underlying issues going on. That's when you and I would both say, you should really talk to your pediatrician because then you could get a referral to somebody who specializes in this. And who right. would specialize in that? Well, I took a webinar yesterday. I posted on my stories on using Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility uh, in kids with autism and kids on the spectrum. And it was really fascinating and informative. And what I learned is that it takes a, you know, a whole, usually it's a whole team of people that they're working with. So, you know, 
maybe a physician first and then a dietitian and a occupational or feeding therapist. Um, so that's definitely somebody you would want to uh, contact if you are, you know, think that your child is like crossing over to this, you know, extreme picky eating behavior. Okay, awesome. So we'll contact our pediatrician if we're super concerned. Right. Now, let's bring it back to the picky eaters that the majority of us have at home right now, sitting at our kitchen tables, frustrating <laughs> us to no end. Let's look at some of those things that as moms, we just, oh, we're so tempted to do, even though maybe we know we shouldn't. Let's start with why should we not bribe our kids with candy and treats? Can you talk about that some? Yes. And if, if you've been following me on Instagram, you know probably already what I'm going to say or where I stand on that. So please don't do that <laughs> because it gives power to these foods. It, it makes, you know, what candies, treats, dessert, whatever you want to call it, it, it makes them seem special or exciting. If you say, take two bites of broccoli and then you can have your cookie. Um, it's, you know, again, it's giving power to this. So, you know, kids here, kids here are think, oh, well, fine, I'll take two bites of broccoli, but there must be something wrong with it if I get to have this yummy cookie afterwards. So it's kind of taking um, like forbidden foods and putting them, you know, on a higher, you know, playing field. Pedestal. Yeah. yeah, higher pedestal. <laughs> Thank you. Sometimes it's hard to find the words. I can see your hands. <laughs> but, yeah. And it can cause, I know, well, I talk with my hands. I just, that's how I talk. Um, but it can cause kids to become really preoccupied with sweets. And the more they're restricted, a child will learn to do or say whatever, you know, whatever it takes in order to make sure they get the sweets. And, you know, it may not sound that worrisome now, but if this is, you know, how they are raised or grow up, you know, to treat, you know, certain foods as good versus bad, mm -hmm. then, you know, they may start to restrict um, and that can lead to a disordered way of eating. Yeah, so I think you just said something really key here, good versus bad foods. And if we are teaching our kids that there's these bad foods and you gotta get through the good to get the bad, that might not be the best long run, long term strategy for your children because ultimately we want our kids to grow up and have a great relationship with food and their bodies and it starts today right now exactly no it does it does um yeah so you know by taking away the power of these foods whether it's and not just sweets you know anything that you might think is a junk food like chips or you know crackers um when you take away the power the excitement dwindles and then they start to request them less often so yeah i i really try hard. Occasionally I slip trying not to say, you know, oh, that's good or that's bad or that has, you know, too much sugar. You know, and I'm not saying that we should offer these all of the time. Um, you know, we decide what, when, and where. So, you know, as parents, if we want to serve dessert, great. If we don't, then yeah. we 
We get to make the decisions. So that what, when, and where, let's jump into that. We're going to skip down to this. This is a big uh, hot topic when it comes to feeding kids. So dive right into that for me. Okay. So the division of responsibility is a philosophy that, you know, I definitely live by and I use with my own children and I also use in my own practice. Uh, And it was started by Ellen Satter. She's a registered dietitian and a family therapist. And how it works is that parents decide the what, where, and when of feeding. Then kids decide how much and whether or not to eat. So it's, it's really that simple. But then when you dive into it, you realize, okay, it gets a little more complicated because I feel like everybody is doing maybe part of that. But one of those things, the what, when, and where, uh, the parents, you know, are maybe leaving one of those out. So we get to ultimately decide the what, because children are just too young. Oh, you froze. <laughs> uh, children are too young to know what they need to nurse themselves. But as they get a little bit older, you know, they can start to have some more autonomy. Um, and then the where cannot be underestimated. So it's really important to, you know, have meals and snacks at the family table or wherever you normally you know eat um, without distractions and especially without screens mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know that's a big one um, and then the win is also important because you know kids need to sustain their energy so pretty much in a what 12 13 hour day that kids are up they're eating like every two to three hours but if they're constantly allowed to graze all throughout the day then it's really hard for them to eat eat intuitively. Um, And they have to be able to come to the table, you know, hungry enough to eat. So if they're grazing all day, then they're probably not, you know, eating as much during meals or eating as much as you think they should. Um, And then therefore, you know, they may be picky. (laughs) Okay. So what... We decide what they eat, and hopefully we pick and choose nourishing foods. Of course. And then you said where would be at the table with no screens. And now when you talked about grazing and things, and something I like to suggest to moms is having a set schedule, yes. sort of flexible. Do you have any um, – can you elaborate on when or a schedule? Yeah, yeah the schedule is so important. So – Typically, like what I do with my kids and what I suggest is, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So whatever that looks like for you and your family. And then a morning snack, an afternoon snack. And the bedtime snack is not, you know, for everyone. We sometimes do it because I just, the way our lives are, I can't, you know, serve dinner at the same time every night. And it's fine. But as long as it's within a window of, you know, between five and six or six and seven or, you know, whenever your family eats, Um, it doesn't have to be the same exact time. Yeah, we get to make that judgment call. You know, for the most part, we follow the same pattern throughout the day. But then give and take 15, 30 minutes, whatever you have to do to make it work for you. You know, Wednesday night, you have to get your kid home from practice. So you eat 30 minutes later. Okay. So then maybe because dinner was later, you don't necessarily need to have snacks before bedtime. And 
what would you suggest for a bedtime snack for kids? Uh, something that has protein and our fat. So even, you know, a little bit of milk, um, or, you know, I've heard that warm milk can help you sleep. Um, but I don't know if there's really, <laughs> if that's like a myth or, you know, I don't know. You know what? I'm so glad you said that. Cause my kids, <laughs> we just got a little milk frother steamer thing mm-hmm. and <laughs> they love it. And combining that at nighttime, you know, we have a glass of milk at night. That's their bedtime snack. I need to combine the two because I've heard that as well. You know, it's like one of those old wives tales maybe you know? Well, you know, I think actually our pediatrician oh because I asked her about melatonin oh um, about the you know giving like melatonin to kids who have trouble going to sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about that I have a couple of those <laughs> well, actually just one right now but uh because he naps at school so he doesn't go to sleep but she said warm milk acts the same so I, I don't know well We'll see, but yeah, um, something with protein and fat. So sometimes like I do nuts, um, my kids really enjoy eating, you know, um, either almonds or cashews. Um, but yeah, just something that's gonna, you know, hold them over. Um, not, and, and definitely not something that's like exciting to them, like a granola bar or, you know, goldfish crackers. Cause then I, cause I, I, I realized that, you know, my three-year-old, I mean, he's smarter than <laughs> he appears sometimes. And, uh, yeah, they are, they're smart. <laughs> right. I was actually talking to a client the other day and she was saying, you know, my, her, what is he? He's five, almost five. He doesn't eat much dinner because he knows he's getting a yeah. serving of ice cream later and he's going to hold out for that so by choosing nutritious foods start to finish that can help um those kiddos there we go yeah because you know he i i can usually tell like if he well that's the thing if kids are really hungry they will eat and i can tell if he's asking for a snack because he's really hungry or if he's requesting it because he knows that, oh, I'm going to get goldfish before yeah. <laughs> or a graham cracker, you know, before bed. Right. And then it's like, oh, here are your cashews. Oh, I don't want those. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not hungry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's roll into this next question. I'm, I'm really interested in what your take on this is. Should we hide or not hide vegetables? Let me hear what you have to say, and then I'm going to tell you what I've heard about it. Okay. All right, so I'm going to say um, there are many reasons not <laughs> to hide them, uh, but the most important reason, in my opinion, is trust. So in order to allow your children opportunities to try new foods, and in order for the division of responsible, uh, responsibility <laughs> to work, um, you have to have trust. So. Pressure of any kind always backfires. And hiding veggies is, in my opinion, sort of a form of pressure because the goal shouldn't be to get our kids to eat XYZ or to get our kids to eat more fruits and vegetables. Um, You know, the goal should be to expose them to a wide variety of all foods. And when you hide fruits or vegetables or, you know, whatever it may be, it takes away the value of meal time. So like kids may, if they find out, you know, that, oh, there's, uh, 
pureed carrots in their soup, <laughs> then they're going to feel hurt and they're going to feel tricked. And then they're not going to, you know, look forward to family meals, you know, over time. And it also sends a message that, you know, if you have to go so far to hide them, that then there must be something wrong <laughs> with veggies. And it also doesn't allow for the repeat exposures because if they don't know what they're eating to begin with, then how can that really count as an exposure? Does that, did that make any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. And I loved what you said. I, I, you said the goal isn't to make them and force them to eat these foods. The goal is to expose them to these, this variety and, you know, thinking long-term again, that's the goal is so that they learn to appreciate these things and they're familiar with them. And then when they become adults, they know these, they eat these, <laughs> they choose these. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're setting them up for success later on. Yeah. And the only, the one thing that I would add is that I don't think I learned this in school. I think because there was this cookbook and I still have it. And it was all about how to hide veggies for kids. And that was something that came up in school. And I thought, oh, that's cool. So I bought it and I still have it. And I look at it sitting on my shelf now. And I'm like, wow, I really. Sorry, that's my baby. <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, wow, I really think the school of thought has changed because that cookbook is all about how to sneak past my kids how to trick them how to you know just deceive and what you're saying is you, that's not building trust and you know that's not helping their relationship that's not helping honestly mom child relationship either at <laughs> the most basic level yeah well thank you for sharing your thoughts on that whether to hide or not hide vegetables um let's see so we've hit a lot of really great points um, there was a one more thing that I have before we summarize here. Okay. What do you do to help kids with the, to help them accept these foods? You know, we're saying just expose them, expose them, but how do we get them to accept them? Yes. Great question. Okay. So, you know, offering food that's unique to them at least 20 <laughs> times seems like a lot um but really it's not and it's not just about exposing them don't just offer broccoli 20 times here's a piece of raw broccoli yeah <laughs> um it's about you know offering them in a variety of ways so i i don't know why i always use broccoli as an example but i think it's because it's one of those foods that you know it's really bitter so it, it's it's tough for a lot of kids you know to accept it so you know you can present it um, you know, raw with a dip, or I like to, you know, cut it up because a big piece of broccoli can kind of be intimidating. Um, and you know, you can call, call, have, call it a cute name. Like here are some little trees, <laughs> um, you know, roast it, um, steam it, put some butter cheese on it. I like to take frozen broccoli, for instance, and, uh, chop some up and then put it in like a box mac and cheese, like the last two minutes. Um, or, you know, you can add broccoli to eggs, omelet, stir fry, and you can do this all within like a couple weeks. And then right there, you know, you have all these, you know, at least 20 exposures. Um, that's just one example. And then, you know, you could also add 
in certain foods to their favorite meals. So one of the things we love to eat all the time are tacos. And um, I like to serve like full fat Greek yogurt in place of sour cream. Um, and then, you know, cheese, lots of veggies. So again, they're getting exposed to all these different foods, but they're also eating them with other familiar foods that they like and pizza as well. Mm -hmm. Do you subscribe to that theory of two to one, two familiar foods with one unfamiliar? Yeah, I don't know if I do like the two to one ex exactly, but I usually say, um, or at least what I do with my, my kids, trying to picture the, you know, their plate in my head, but you know, at least half familiar and the other half unfamiliar, or I like to do it more. One thing may be completely new. One thing that they like a sometimes food, you know, and then other foods that I know that they will eat. The good thing is with my seven-year-old, I don't really have to worry anymore. Um, he pretty much eats, you know, he pretty much eats whatever I put in front of him. Awesome. Lucky <laughs> mom over there. I know. <laughs> and I can't take all the credit because I think he's always been uh, very adventurous and he's always been willing to try almost anything. Um, whereas our, my three-year-old, he's a little more, um, like he'll look at something and say, I don't like that. <laughs> and I just laugh because, cause, you know, it's like, I know, okay, you've never even tried it. <laughs> so I laugh to myself. I keep that, I keep those thoughts to myself. Um, so he's a little tough. Yeah. Okay. So to help them accept it, we can offer the food in a variety of different ways, not just putting raw broccoli down. Right. When you said that, my husband said to me yesterday, <laughs> he was like, you know, that quote that they say, where if you do something repeatedly and expect a different outcome, that's the definition of insanity. <laughs> and then he went on and on. But like what you just said with the broccoli is so true. Like if you just keep putting this huge head of broccoli, a huge piece in front of your little kid, they see that and they know what it is and they're just going to keep throwing it on the ground or whatever. Yeah. So chop it up differently, saute it, put it in mac and cheese if that's their favorite food. And again, you're not hiding it. You're Yeah. They yeah. see it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm also glad you brought up hiding it again because something that crossed my mind uh, just now off to off topic, but back to that um, hiding it was if you are making things like pumpkin muffins, banana muffins, mm -hmm. banana foods, talk to them about it and have that conversation. Don't say like, this is just a chocolate muffin, right? This is a chocolate pumpkin muffin. Yeah. And you're nodding your head. Yeah. And I just wanted to clear that up with listeners because we're not saying like you can't put nutritious foods within a suite. It's just right. that honesty and conversation piece. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I'm glad you brought that up as well, because that's just another way to expose them um, to, you know, unfamiliar foods is putting them in foods that they enjoy, uh, like muffins or yeah. cookies. Like I found this recipe for carrot cookies. So I want to try it because it sounds really good. Like and I mean, my kids like they eat carrots anyway, but it's just like, oh, it's just, uh, you know, carrots are sweet. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> conversation piece and then you just don't um, treat it like it's a bribe. You don't right. put it on a pedestal. It's just all part of the diet, all part of the conversation, all part of creating um, healthy eating behaviors within our little for our little humans who are going to grow and be adults and have to navigate this world 
full of choices and full of wonderful foods. And we want them to have that healthy relationship, grow to know and love these foods. And this has been some awesome information. I'm so glad you were here to share this with me. Thank you. But let's, let's look at some final steps. If someone says, I have a picky eater and they won't eat anything, what do you tell this mom? What are a few specific things they can start right now tonight at dinner? Okay. So look at feeding as a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so provide regular snacks and meals, choose and prepare foods that are, you know, nut nutritious and nourishing, make mealtimes pleasant, show your child what to learn, and then accept and support your child's growth. Okay, I'm gonna have you repeat those one more time. That was a good list, I love that. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so provide regular snacks and meals, choose and prepare nourishing foods, make mealtimes pleasant, show your child what to learn, accept and support your child's growth. Okay, thank you so much, Leslie. Anything else you wanna add here? Um. Oh yeah, something that I learned yesterday, um, or not learned, but it was more of a saying, and it goes along with uh, the division of responsibility is for parents is to stay in your lane. Mm. I love, so that means don't pressure your kids on how much they should be eating and whether or not they decide to eat what you offer. Instead, just you know, decide what, when, and where meals will take place and then let them do, let your kids do their job of eating. Okay. There we go. Thank you so much, Leslie. This has been awesome. And I know that our listeners are going to benefit from it and we're all going to get our kids to trust us and it's going to be good. All right. Thanks for listening to Holy Healthy Mama. If you loved the show, please leave me a five-star review. It will help with the show's visibility, initial and long-term success, and it will make my heart happy. All right, family. Love your babies, say your prayers, and eat your greens.